Hello everybody and welcome to my brand new podcast. Music to live for with Shanti, it's me, Shanti, a Swiss musicologist and stage manager, talking with different artists and discussing different topics belonging to the music business. Music and images go hand in hand. Today I had a very interesting chat with director Tom Bocci about his film called Arctic and how his connection to the music scene and love for the cinema led him to create this horror movie. So let's go! Check this out! Hello everybody and welcome to this brand new episode of Music to Live For with Shanti. Today, not just talking about music, but also movies. I'm here with the director Tom Bocci from the States. Hi Tom. And we're going to talk about this movie, Arctic. So Tom, I'll let you introduce yourself for the audience and then we will go on with this great episode. Well, thanks for having me. Um, yes, my name is uh, Tom Bocci, and I directed a film called Arctic, what seems like 100 years ago now. <laughs> and so it's going to be really cool to kind of talk to you about it and, uh, and we could kind of dive into it a little more. So yeah, man, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, great. Uh, in which part of the States are you living? I'm in California. I'm in uh, Los Angeles. But what's funny is probably what you see of Los Angeles is kind of like the palm trees and all the sun and girls in bikinis. I'm like in the ghetto part of Los Angeles. Okay. I've been to a, a place called Van Nuys. And, you know, there's um, a little bit of gentrification going on here right now. But for the most part, it's um, I'm in uh, an area that I really like, but it's a very small pocket. Van Nuys used to be considered one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in all of Los Angeles. So, um, yeah, I'm just here representing uh, <laughs> the best I can. <laughs> this is always interesting to to hear because I'm re I'm recording you from Basel, Switzerland, and Basel is, yeah, big city is a, is a big word, you know. But yeah, yeah there is a lot here, and in Switzerland we have like three main cities: Geneva, Zurich, and Basel. But yeah, they're not really big big city and when we talk about like dangerous city yeah is definitely all the realities you know so i think right. even going to uh, the reality where where my guests are living is still something always interesting and i think it's gonna help the audience also to understand what we are like this so hello hello of course you said uh, bikini girls um Yeah, here in Switzerland, we live with these American dreams, you know. So California yeah. is still like the, 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 the dreamland, you know, like uh, for everybody from teenagers to people like me, 35, you know, like this idea that we have. But yeah, we connect a lot this with a lot of music, but of course with Hollywood and all the movie production. And you are director. How did you get into this, this arts and this life? Well, I think uh, it's interesting because probably from your view, it was the same view that I had before I moved here. And that's this uh, image that's presented of like L.A. and Hollywood. And when you get here, you realize, oh, yeah, that's uh, of course that things are produced and made to look good. 
That's what you do when you make something. It's the same as if you're in a band and you do a song. You're trying to produce something and put it out the way you intend to market it. So it's the same scenario. I got here and I was like, where are all the palm trees? <laughs> where's all the where's all the girl? Where, what is what is all this? Like, I don't see any glamour. Like, this is like the worst homeless situation I've ever been a part. Wow, this is like it's it's eye-opening, you know? So it's just really funny because uh, you, as someone not even in the country, just a, an entire world away, probably what is spoon-fed as the image of LA and Hollywood is totally not the reality. That's what's funny about all this stuff is that's in general how film works is we're turning the ordinary into the extraordinary so mm -hmm. what's funny about that is the ordinary in general doesn't bring in money so it's like well what do you do well you throw in a kardashian and you give it a nice car you know <laughs> and you just you, you're trying to put you're trying to give this uh the image of money when theoretically that's not necessarily the reality you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so like some of the biggest poverty i've ever seen exists right here in los angeles it's it's a, like alarming you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's very interesting. But uh, to answer your question, I came down to L.A. because, you know, much like I was saying, these visuals you see that everyone sees that doesn't live here. That's what I was attracted to. You know, I was I grew up in a really small town and I always wanted to be creative. And I realized that anytime I tried to be creative with people, it was very difficult. So I really wanted to go to a place where there was more like-minded individuals, you know, people like me that express themselves through creative means. And then I heard of this place called LA and I was like, wow, everyone's creative down there. This is going to be great. I'm going to move down there and have so many friends. And then I moved out here and realized like, no, everyone's doing their own thing. No one wants to be your friend. So mm -hmm. I was like, ah, damn, just, <laughs> just like I was experiencing in that rural town, you know, uh, but yeah, I came from a, just this really small town, farming community. Um, there was not a lot of culture there. There, The idea of being in a band was so like, you know, oh, you want to be in a band, and that means you want to play like cover songs of like Leonard Skinner, and, and you want to play, you know, cover songs of Aerosmith. And I was like, no, I, I want to listen to Black Flag and do all these other things. And people are like, I, we don't know what the words are that you just said. We don't know what that means. So, yeah. so yeah. Um, so really, uh, my love of creativity developed from being in a small town and I would get into things first that would, I thought were like the right form of expression for me. Like I tried music. I, I tried pro wrestling. Okay. I tried tons of different things. Yeah. And the one co constant that always stayed is I would always film all these things when I did them. And then, Along the way, I got into video editing and I thought, wow, I like really love this. I haven't thought about the fact that this is the one constant in all my endeavors. And so it's the one thing that stuck that I just kind of almost accidentally started to excel. In. So that's really kind of like the, the long version of how I got down to L.A. Is it was always like this dream. And then kind of accidentally, I realized that that was something I also specialized in over time. Mm -hmm. And then in 2019, you release the movie Arctic. That's right. Yes. Um, we shot it about a year prior. Uh, uh, 
uh, over 11 days in, um, in a desert. And what's funny about that is if you see the film, you would never know it was shot in a desert because it's full of like these sunflower fields and all this like colorful, all these colorful um, situations. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, but yeah, we shot it in the same place. A TV show called Breaking Bad was shot. Um, it's this place in New Mexico called Albuquerque. Mm -hmm. And Al Albuquerque is, um, Albuquerque is a very interesting place because since it's basically in the middle of a desert, it's really hot there all day. And then at night it gets really cold. And the funny part about that is, for someone who's seen Arctic, you know, most of it takes place at night. <laughs> so we just had no idea what we were doing when we laid out the plan for it. We we're like, well, it's hot here. This would be great. Show up in shorts. Like, we got this. And then it turned out every night it would go down to like 20 degrees, 15 degrees, and we were just freezing. Yeah. And then we still had to, you know, give appearances. Like all the actors had to wear short sleeves and, and shorts or – or we're just basically normal clothes that you would wear during summer. And they're just freezing. Everyone's just freezing. That's, that's how I remember that experience. It's just freezing to death. Yeah. But um, to help the audience to understand what Arctic is, can you help us to reconstruct a little bit the synopsis, the story of this movie? What is about? Arctic is basically a story that is uh, really about um, um, having a savior complex. You know, it's about uh, two characters that come together that really plays out in almost like a, the form of an anti-comic book film. You know, we've seen comic book movies before. They're obviously these big mainstream success stories. And I wanted to do something that was the opposite of that, a real take on a comic book tale. So it's a horror film that's basically a, kind of a cat and mouse game between two characters. And, um, you know, one of these characters is uh, someone who believes they're almost like working to be a superhero, but in reality, it's about them being almost like uh, experiencing toxic fandom, you know, mm -hmm. this like level of being a fan of something, but being so immersed in it, you for, you, you, your delusion uh, it kind of like encapsulates encapsulates your own life. Mm -hmm. So your reality kind of gets skewed. And, um, and it's about how this person deals with their family and, and how they deal with threats and about the process that they're stuck in, you know? And um, so, yeah, I mean, it's really just kind of like a, a quick, you know, fast paced horror film that uh, I thought would be an interesting idea for a movie that explored these, interesting characters that I don't necessarily get to see. Usually when I watch horror films, usually it's more about the story and I get that, but I wanted something that captured a moment in time that felt interesting and moved almost more like a movie trailer. It had like part of the dynamic of the characters I wanted to encapsulate in the edit of the film. So there's certain scenes that move very aggressively, certain scenes that move very slowly. Um, and the idea is just to kind of capture that intensity. You know, the intensity of the characters and, and where they're going. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And why did you choose to uh, shoot a horror movies and, and not to create another kind of genre of movies? I mean, 
It was my first feature. And I think on your first feature, you have to do the most amount of experimentation. And the only thing that felt like a genre that I could pull off at that phase was horror because you don't need a lot for horror, you know, for any movie, you don't need a lot. If you theoretically want to break it down, just make it about a story that you're trying to tell. But for me specifically, in order to show what I was able to do as a director at that time, the horror genre was the best space to work in because I could show elements of intensity. I could show action scenes. I could show scenes with complex dialogue. I could show scenes that are filmed differently than in other movies and, and employ new concepts. I could offer a different type of editing. I could offer a different type of color look and vibe. And, and um, theoretically, the horror genre allows you the most space and creative freedom to do that because there's all different types of horror while for other genres, you can't necessarily say that like for comedy, there's, you know, there's your straightforward comedy, there's your dark comedy. Mm -hmm. And then there's, you know, I mean, slapstick comedy, like other variations of things that make you laugh, but there is, there's really only a few. And I think with horror, you have like psychological horror, you have action horror, you have dark horror, you have slasher horror, you have all these different types of sub-genres you can work in and even mix and it's okay no one's going to be like what are you doing that's not a thing mm -hmm. and uh it's almost like the idea of oh you want to be different go for it that exists with horror and it doesn't really exist everywhere else people like to claim that's what they want that's what they're looking for and then it does but the reality of the situation is when you present an idea especially as a first-time filmmaker that's new and different Everyone hates it. They're like, I've never seen that before. Why would you do that? Who are you? No one gives, no one cares who you are. You're a first time filmmaker. Shut up. That's yeah. the response you get. That's the only response you get. But in horror, if I say this is weird and different and dumb and stupid and great and silly, people will be like, oh, okay. Well, it's horror. Makes sense. It's just the opposite reaction. You know, it's more welcoming. Mm -hmm. So, so that's why my first feature, I decided to try my hand at like a horror movie and, see where i landed mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well honestly it was really really interesting to, to watch and um i remember being online and looking for a, a movie to download yeah i'm one of those guys on torrent websites and and, and now uh, we have you on record saying yeah that, I'm, I'm admitting <laughs> yeah it's I'm over scared. <laughs> no but I, i remember watching all this um I would say a picture about the movies or how it is present and everything. And I said, so this Arctic, hmm, I like the way the, the cover and everything, the, the concept, really intriguing. Maybe because I, I like this kind of artworks. And it, now that I know how the story works, it's to me clear why um, your, your poster looks like this. But I really enjoyed this idea of like comics, more not picture, but really design, design and everything, like an artworks. And after that, just download it and I just let it go. You know, I, I like just let me surprise, you know. And yeah, um, yeah the story started really interesting. And <laughs> then came the moment where you notice that the main character, one of the main characters, is also straight edge 
And for all the audience, I know I talk a lot about the Stridex experience and philosophy. Um, why this just pop up more than other parts or or topics? Because uh, I thought I thought that we made the um, what's the name Holton, well, the, the main character, more more real. Let's say uh, yeah. it's not just oh we have a guy who is a. He had uh, problems, or it came from a different our, our situation, and now we take this path. You know, like it's 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 more real. Somebody who had a problem now he, he take a decision. He's as a young guy, uh, tattoos, cool cool style. I always like. I really like enjoyed the, the style of the character, and and then he just say, no, no, I'm straight edge. You know, like it's cool. Oh, and and it, it's like creating more depth. You know, it, it was more underground you know it's it's not like uh, yeah i mean just a sober guy you know like or, or typically i was surprised because normally uh those are the kind of people are depicted like you know um i had some trouble um uh, have a hard life and now i found god and it's not enough that it's something bad but many movies the change come from fate you know like something's changing your life you find your your fate and everything and this bring you you know to to acting good and everything um this guy is still a punk still uh you know like still you, you feel that he got this energy it's not the the hard time just made me i need a, a, a easy life but at the same time it, it, i got the feeling like oh okay this guy uh wants to make a difference but he wants to play his own terms on that you know and then we have but this is interesting because holton is definitely uh i won't say the normal person but it's like a person that could you really encounter in your daily life where you go buy something or you just sit on the bar and you start talking with somebody and the other guy you have this this interesting and bad person because he has a strong personality he got dreams he he pay always say he, he does his own comics inspired by dreams and ideas and uh, and um yeah he built also in his farm like this this chair for torture and everything like so it seems like to be like the classic simple person with troubles but no something deeper so what i really say good to your ideas behind it because you create really i think it's interesting you focus on two or three characters in the movie i would say four but these four main characters and you 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 try really to build you take your time in your movie to to let them talk and describe the whole situation um i really enjoy also the part of uh, uh, what's the name of the of the wife of Arctic? Uh, Finn or Flynn? Oh, I don't remember. Flynn. Yes. yes, and yes. she. Um, I thought was so. This is something interesting because um, we have this idea that um, you know the bad person still like man, a man or a male character, uh, and she she she's a she's a woman. She's not. A, she's kind of simple, kind of easygoing. But then she got all the control on this this young boys, and she has no doubt to let them work under the sun and picking the stuff, you know, or let them sleep in the barn or <laughs> they didn't have yeah. even a room, you know. And 
And so you, you got this idea of a female responsible person and that she's in charge. I mean, she, she's got power in that situation. Um, but at the same time, you got this, the, the, yeah, the fact that what you see, yeah, at the first glance, you you won't believe that she's so strong or so hard, I would say, so extreme in, in his point of view on how to manage life for those. And, and of course, yeah. uh, uh, the young guy, I like the idea when, when he's doing the Arctic uh, graffiti, this is a part, I really enjoyed it, the tag like this. So you you see that um, the guy still also had some kind of creativity in him. So he's not just like a depressed guy going on just in this uh, wasteland, just to go on, the, on, the, on every wall's picture there, but he still have some good idea, but doesn't know really how to, which position are. It's normal, he's a, he's a, he's a teenager, I mean, we, when we were teenagers, also we didn't know really what was good, bad for you, and which situation. And and this only in the movie, um, I think just already this makes an interesting movie to watch. But then, yeah, it's a horror. You got all these kind of splatter moment. But also this is yeah. good because it's not all about that. I think it's it's interesting because, as I said, you let the characters talk. But then the action reflect really who they are, like those kind of really aggressivity and and, um, and violence that yeah belongs also to the genre. But yeah, why this is? It, I think this was more uh, not just because the idea for sure wasn't to make a splatter movie, <laughs> like you know. But but yeah, um, I think it's it fits everything fits really good. And uh, I remember a couple of months ago. Um, I have to be honest, at the time, I totally forgot the title of the movie, but I remember talking about that. That's your movie. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, thank you for, uh, yeah, you kind of like laid out a bunch of interesting points as to why I think a lot of the characters were um, were kind of like, why well, I decided to touch upon them. But yeah, I mean, for me, the main <laughs> motivation behind the movie was I was with an ex-girlfriend and I remember that ex-girlfriend was uh, straight edge, but I, I was pretty much, I've pretty much, I've always been straight edge. I just have never necessarily identified myself with that group, even though I don't drink, I don't, I don't do anything. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, for me, it was it was always hard growing up to relate to groups of straight edge people, specifically because I wanted to be in a band and I felt so like alone. It was hard to just relate to other people. And so when there was a scene that already existed of groups of people in bands, and then you're like, oh, I want to be in one of those. The tendency is to say, uh, no, <laughs> you have to be in a band to become part of our scene. And I was like, but I want to be in a band. So then I could be part of your scene, you know? So it was this weird thing I experienced when I was growing up. And then I eventually got in a band and, um, and moved forward that way. And I always wanted to kind of describe that feeling inside of the character. And so fast forward many years later, I had dated a girl who was straight edge, but was still kind of, in that 
mindset. And also she was dealing with a lot of, um, um, like issues that were very hard to process. And what was interesting about that is the idea of processing trauma made me to start writing. And as I started writing, I started writing about how I had missed her. And then the character I was writing about sort of morphed into the male version of her. So this person dealing with past trauma, me writing about it, purging myself of trauma of the relationship. And so it was very interesting. And what's funny about that is the character of Arctic on the flip side was me writing a character that was a typical horror film character, but then trying to process the trauma of my dad dying and writing about my dad. And then elements of my dad became part of the Arctic character. So really the inspiration for Arctic is dealing with like this trauma and trying to write about it. And so that's how a lot of those characters were formed. So uh, that's the main basis of that story. And so I, I really thought it'd be interesting to infuse a lot of myself and my own experiences into these characters. And that's how I think you were saying, like with the character of Holton, he's this straight edge guy who feels a little bit more realistic when it comes to a horror movie. Like he's not this dude who's chasing the girls and then he gets beat up by the guy in the slasher movie, like a Jason movie. I wanted the opposite of that. And I wanted the opposite to what a typical comic book film is. And so I decided to kind of smash both those entities together. And, um, and really Arctic's kind of like a reaction to that. So that's how I came up with the, that's, that's what motivated, motivated me to do it, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But uh, I think when you're a director and you're, Think about movie, the movie. I think one of the hardest part is to really find those actor that really match to your idea. And how was this process for this movie? Oh, it was really, it was really interesting, and surprisingly, it didn't. It, I'm I'm working on a film now, and there's a lot of hoops, and you have to jump through to try to cast the roles properly, but. With Arctic, it was a much different process. With Arctic, I knew I wanted someone big and scary for the main bad guy. And I knew I wanted someone innocent for the main good guy. And what I decided to do was take the, uh, there's this actor who I love, who I worked with named Chase Williamson um, in Arctic. And he played the role of Holden. And why I gravitated towards him is he had always been typecast in horror movies as the guy who plays the stoner. He's mm -hmm. the stoner. He's always just this mindless, you know, provides a couple of levels of introspection. And then he usually either gets killed off or kind of continues on. And in this, in this weird like horror realm where, He's the voice of reason, but he's not sure what the reasoning is. And I thought, man, I want to do the opposite. I want you to be the guy who knows who he is, who isn't confused about it, and who is the opposite of anything to do with drugs. You know, I want you to be like the beacon of innocence, like a true, if I was making a horror like comic book and I needed someone that was 
you know, the representation of purity, like you would be it. And I would, I much rather wanted to go that route, something that reflected more within me than how you said, we're talking about purity and the character finds himself through finding God and all that. That's just something that's been done before. So I don't necessarily want to go there, but by the same token, I wanted to have that same experience exist within the film. So that's why I decided to go with a character that was straight edge, felt more realistic. And that's why I decided to pick that specific actor is because he had only been offered the exact opposite mm-hmm. of straight roles. So, and sometimes that's what works best is if you give someone a chance to shine brighter in a different light, you know, they go for it. So yeah, I think I lucked out with that, um, with that casting you know yeah i love it when it happened um i'm a huge fan of sons of anarchy and yes. i guess in the second season there is henry uh, rollins playing the the nazi <laughs> you know when you yeah. know who henry rollins he is what right what's his mentality what's his background and everything but you see playing really badass in that role you know like say cool you know it was you you, you got like this um this this dwelling inside you because you like the guy i mean you like henry rollins as person already when you yeah. stand up when he was singing for black flag and everything but then man i like it also in that way you know like i try to and this is this is interesting um the way uh some directors choose uh, um yeah to 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 insert a new way a new character ways i would say or a new personality into movies because i have to be honest um um i guess yesterday i saw a a movie and it's like the sequel uh, of our i guess oh well yeah the title of the 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 main movie is the descent descent sorry and the it's descent, yeah. The descent, yeah. This true, this four girls going down the cave, and there is monster, uh, golem, yeah, yeah. and everything. And um, I had uh, the, I, I found it also. Uh, oh, Teresa part two, and I said, okay, why not? Let's watch it. You know, like <laughs> let's give it a, a chance. And for the first time, uh, I saw uh, one of the sequel that they also quite good as the first one you know even with the technique because sometimes you get you see there is a budget movie and then the sequel is definitely low budget you know oh and, yeah and you see oh, the yeah. difference so it's like two movies in this one i have to say that was not bad idea that they tried to keep the level of the first one and um yeah saying this just that out there there is a lot of uh, i think new ideas for sure But in the last, we'll say 10 years, to be honest, there are not, not so much uh, that will make really the difference, you know, like, or try to... Yeah, and I, I, I think that's part of the problem with a lot of um, filmmaking and a lot of music, too. Yeah, You know, if you said across the board, um, you know, there's a lot of attention towards... Um, trends and, 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 you know, commerce making money and this idea of rewarding the entity that is 
uniquely different. It's kind of like, as a theory, people say, claim that that's what they want. But in reality, that's not what people want. People want guaranteed invest, investments mm-hmm. that are that do not pose a risk. That's yeah. ultimately what people want. So, um, you know, it's interesting, especially being in this time right now with uh, with, with both music, with both film, how the landscape has changed and what you see actually gets out and breaks through and how it breaks through because it seems like that dynamic is changing a little bit. Like people like yourself, people like, you know, indie bands, indie filmmakers can have a voice now, but it didn't used to be that way. And it's very interesting. You, you used to have to really break through into the mainstream somehow, almost accidentally to have a career. So, um, you know, it's very, uh, interesting time to be a part of things and to watch how things play out, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, then it's always, it's like in music, you have to, uh, have to give the chance to people also to discover something new and not just staying, you know, on the surface, scratching the surface with all the main name and titles, but also deep down, you know, like, and uh, looking, as I said, from, movie like yours i uh, i can, i got a couple of horror movies that i really like and i really enjoyed and they are not mainstream movie at all but i'm not saying this because i'm a hipster because but uh, you know like uh, like you know, because I, i like to be you know this alternative but it's really because in the end the story how it's told and um yeah that the feelings give you is um there was this example there was a, there was a french movie called frontiers And it was, uh, I don't know if they make after that, like a remake, because this sadly that what happens, like you got like European production and then the, the older production remake the movies like this. But yeah. I remember it was these this four guys uh, escaping the police because they had weed in the car and they landed on the border in between uh, German and France. And they landed in a farm and they are invited. So this classical uh Yeah, you 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 you're supposed to know how things are going to happen, but and then it happened that this family was like um, Nazi related, uh, and um, yeah, they kill slowly old member, and uh, I really enjoyed because at the time there wasn't this. Uh, I mean, at that time it was I guess it's like eight years ago. There wasn't this idea of we need absolutely a strong female character. And yeah. uh, in that movie, the, uh, the main character is this girl escaping and taking his own revenge, let's say. And I really enjoyed it because th- there is a scene that was fantastic. She's this girl with long hair and she's kept in captivity. And there is the, the uh, yeah, I would say the teenage girl or, or like, you know, like grow up person, grow up woman, but it's still like a girl inside, quite creepy. And they're in front of the mirror and they start cutting slowly the air at this at the girl, like she was a like a, like a puppet, like you see. Mm-hmm. And this scene, you know, like it was like, oh my god, the, the tension on that was cool. And in the end, you see this girl like getting really pissed off about the whole situation. And you say, This is so real, you know, when you you got enough and here your friends are dying, and, and you are in a situation with people that they think they're like 
in the Second World War and all a lot of crazy stuff happening. Um, yeah, and then she like explodes and she becomes really uh, like a berserk, you know, like until in the end, she you see the, the, the movie ended with her walking under the rain and all the police arrive at the place, you know, like uh, um, this connection between reality and the craziness she lived and she did, you know. And yeah. this movie, for example, what a great example, or um, as I, we were talking before uh, we started to record it, there is this movie and it's a German one, uh, Austrian German, I suppose. And the name is Agatzusa. And it seems that this word is like witch, but in an old German, like medieval German, you know. Mm-hmm. And also this movie is just great because it's, it's, it's also, um, you know, it's like the, um, the opposite of the, of Heidi, you know, the, all these idyllic mountains and everything you got all this great panorama of this region, you know, pines and nature, but you also have the fog, the night, uh, the silence. uh, And then you got this this situation that it's it's not necessarily supernatural, but it's more like psychological and everything. But even, I would say simple in a way that, you know, no special effects and no bail and that. Uh, even few characters in the whole movies, I guess you see six people in total. You know, it's not the, yeah. but but the idea behind of concentrate yourself on this and that maybe enrich more the movie. You know, and yeah. this is um, I mean I'm talking with you and talking about your movie, uh, and I can only say as a compliment because I really really enjoyed that you. You took your time to write the movie, but also to 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 give your best to to stay to stay on on the path on all the movie because sometimes maybe there is the tendencies of you know maybe in the end right now this is maybe too complicated or they I guess the the audience won't understand it or maybe I don't know I'm yeah. secu- being a little bit insecure on the product or the final product but. Um, in the end, uh, I think that there is an inter- an interesting balance in that. And my question is more yet the uh, is about more about um, all these um, things you create for the movie. As I said before, there is this chair for the tortures and everything. Are, are you still having that somewhere, or did you just? <laughs> uh, we the chair still does exist. It's in the state of New Mexico at someone's house in their workshop. It's all disassembled. We originally wanted to release the film and go to like a few comic cons and have that person bring the chair and then assemble it together and have people be able to sit in the chair and take pictures at like the premiere. And when, um, when people talk about the movie at like a convention, but the problem is that chair is legitimately dangerous. Okay. <laughs> like the, 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 the handles are actually really lock you in and it's made of real metal and it can actually like slice off a finger. And so we just kind of thought, you know, there wasn't much money to begin with when it came to this movie. If we get sued, like, I mean, we're done. So yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, but the chair does still exist. I would still love to somehow get it somewhere, you know, for some, some type of promotional event attached to the film. But it seems like we would need to really figure out a way to make it safe. 
mm-hmm. you know, because I, I don't want to do the thing where if you go get a tour of like some famous location, sometimes I'll have the car from the movie yeah, and you get yeah. to stand next to it. And I kind of don't care about standing next to something. If I could drive the car from Ghostbusters, hey, I'm in. But mm-hmm. usually you can't, you know, legally you can't. So I want people to be able to sit in the chair and really experience like how it actually feels because it's extremely dangerous. But um, that said, you know, uh, it does still exist. But unfortunately, I think it's going to be locked away for quite a while okay. just because the world, the world is safer that way. Safer that way, but yeah. something like this it comes out from your mind, or you got the help of somebody like to get this idea and project this the thing. Yeah, yeah. There was um, originally in the script that was written as a chair, and that's it. Okay, <laughs> it was written, it was written as like a chair, like you're sitting in or I'm sitting in, and then there was this great um, production designer named Chris Scott who we were working with who. He said, I was thinking maybe, you know, he was drawing something and he goes, I was thinking maybe something like this. And I looked at it and, you know, I was like, what is that? And he goes, you know, like a dentist chair from like 1918, 1919, 1920, something like that. And I was just like, what? I mean, if you think we could find one and he goes, well, we probably can't find one in time. Hmm. Is there a junkyard around here? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, Can you, can you give me 24 hours? And I was just like, uh, sure. And before I knew it, he stayed up around the clock and he literally went to a junkyard. He pulled out parts of car wheels, ripped off a car hood. He put, he welded all these metal beams together. He added a bunch of barbed wire under a gas canister and this big tractor wheel. And before you knew it, that's how he built a chair. It was literally built by like, the death of all these other devices in a junkyard, he built the ultimate death chair. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, that is really a testament and all credit is due to that production designer. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if he's still working in the industry. I I hope he is because he's very talented. He's very nice and he's got a great mind for it. And really the fact that he was that efficient in such a short amount of time was a miracle, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's because um, for the audience that have seen the movie, it's a, definitely a special chair. Like, yeah, special. I mean, it reminds a lot of those um, intricate uh, game of Saw, I would say, yeah, to compare. Yeah. It's not a comparing, but it reminds me of that. But if you see the movie, the, the, the bad guy is living in a, in a farm. And so it seems that he builds like this chair, yeah. this throne of pain well, all, all, all with all the things he could find in, in the farm. So it fits yeah. perfect. And I know what you mean. I, I, I worked two years at the opera here in Zurich. I was in, with the orchestra, but, you know, there is it's like a huge family. So, you know, all the departments and everything. And I got some friends building some, you know, stuff to make the scene more real as possible, you know. And it was they once they made like a huge cut, a cat. It was like more like um, yeah, I would say yeah, I, I would say let's say a huge cat, but really huge, yeah. you know, like yeah, with the, inside the really there was a, a technicians moving moving all the stuffs, like like yeah. like it's like think about Jurassic Jurassic Park and imagine that there is a guy inside the T-Rex moving the, right, the same right. thing. And that's usually usually how it works. Yeah, it's like animatronics. And, yeah, yeah. And so so I know what does mean. Um 
fun to people that know they can create the magic from from scratch or from 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 things that you see every day and say oh this could be definitely a, a good a good thing a good idea and, and yeah. definitely gives like this kind of um, this small i would say small i mean just kind of um small uh what can i say um moments in the movie when yeah, you when you definitely. see it is not just seeing somebody <laughs> try to yeah i would say killing somebody but it's it's like yeah there is more in it it's this is the ambience where this is happening is it belongs yeah. to that person you know it's really yeah, personal yeah. it definitely creates his um it definitely when you think of the character of arctic it definitely creates like his workshop, you know, it lets you into mm -hmm. his mind and how he works and really shows you how warped he is and how kind of like special he treats his victims in a way, you know, it's like this weird, to me, it was him becoming an actual comic book character. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think it really adds a lot to it. So, um, you know, for production designers, I think all of them should enter a film and be empowered by a director or producer to do what their vision is because nine times out of 10, it's only going to add and create an even better scene, a better film. It's going to only add to the story. And I think right now there's this big problem of people being too almost type A as creators Mm -hmm. where they have to hold it and squeeze it and make it theirs. It's mine. And I actually think the key to being more successful is just being more open and letting it go. It's almost like the best way to love someone is to let go of them because then you can love them for who they truly are and they can love you for who you truly are. It's the same scenario. Like mm -hmm. a lot of times the girl who cheats is, or the guy who cheats is cheating on the partner who's holding them really tight, you know? And it's almost like, I, I'm not cheating because there's some physical attraction. I'm cheating because I want to breathe. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times it's just this idea of allowing your productions to breathe almost as if they're people. And it's the same scenario with the, the people who are on your set, you know, the, mm -hmm. the actors, the production designers, let them be what they want to be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <coughs> and I, I think that's ultimately the, the best way to go about creating a story, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Of course. And you said you, you, you have been or you want to be a wrestler? That's oh, yes. So many, many years ago, uh, old Tom decided to pursue his first love of oiling up his body and putting on spandex okay, and getting in front of the public and just yelling at them. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I had grown up. Um, I am Polish. Yeah. And we came to the United States when I was about three years old. And my first memory is of me watching a television that was black and white and kind of had scrambles on the screen. And in between the scrambles, video of one wrestler wrestling another inside this big steel cage would pop up. 
And I was like, oh my God, what is this? And I remember being terrified because the big guy was beating the hell out of the other guy. And my dad was watching it with me, egging me on. He was just watching and being like, oh my God, this guy's killing him. What are we going to do? And I just remember seeing all this blood pouring out of one guy. And the other guy's this big kind of like overweight monster. And he's beating him up. And lo and behold, that was the main event of WrestleMania 2. That was King Kong Bundy versus Hulk Hogan. Okay. And I remember being so terrified. And I could still feel that terror in my body. And then I remember seeing my mom in the kitchen laughing. <laughs> and I was like, why the hell is she laughing? This man is dying. He's being murdered on television right now. And so I always kept that with me as I've never felt a greater emotion than that emotion of my one of my first memories. Like I was terrified. It stuck with me forever. So as I proceeded to grow up, I remember I'd always loved watching wrestling because I'd always remember that emotional reaction. You know, it was one of my first memories. And then as I grew up and started watching movies, I really fell in love with this actor, Brandon Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, Brandon Lee of The Crow and of this great film. It's one of my favorite films ever. It's called Rapid Fire. And there were so many fantastic fight scenes that he helped design. And when he laid out those fight scenes, it really made me think of wrestling and how wrestling is like live fight scene choreography. Mm-hmm. And I loved these fight scenes. So I was like, my God, the fact that it carried so much emotion of my first memory and these live fight scenes, like in movies, I have to do this. I have to figure this out. So I remember training and sleeping in my car to attend wrestling classes, you know, and driving like 400 miles to go do a two hour class, then turn around driving 400 miles back home. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I remember I loved it. I loved training to do it. And ultimately where I landed is that I didn't love learning the magic as much as I thought I would. I love the art form and its presentation. And so I ultimately had to experience it to realize that. Later in life, I ended up back in the wrestling industry because I had a TV show that was like on local cable television that was um, like a, a local wrestling show that would film a wrestling company um, in our area, you know, and we would do like the commentary and I would be like a manager sometimes and I would yell at the crowd. And it was, it was really fun because I now was at that point where I like, I understood the art form and I respected it, but I was far enough away from it that I could step in and enjoy it and then leave. I wasn't committed necessarily. And so I always loved wrestling And as I grew older, I still love wrestling to this day. But what I realized is what ultimately fulfilled me more was less about performance in front of an audience and more about almost like performance within myself, you know, like me mentally figuring out how to write something down and make this weird map of ideas work together and then executing it and then editing it at home by myself, putting together this puzzle and finding all the pieces to make them work properly. So it's almost like I really fell in love with the idea of creative problem solving. And with wrestling, you're doing that in front of an audience, mm-hmm. which is great, 
I just don't necessarily feel like I want to perform in front of audiences consistently. So that's why I kind of, um, why I stopped doing it, but I absolutely love wrestling. I tried it, did it for many years. And now I'm just somebody who observes from a distance, (laughs) but if anybody ever tells you wrestling is not creative, they're crazy. It's one of the most creative things you could ever do as a performer, as an athlete, as an individual, really Mm -hmm. some of the most unique ideas I've ever seen in my life come out of professional wrestling. Mm -hmm. But in the, in the movie Arctic, we have also some fight scene and that's right. That's why I ask you about this because knowing that I want, my question is, did you put some of your passion or some of ideas even in a movie, knowing how to move yourself in the wrestling scene and how, how would you like to see those characters fight with each other? Absolutely. The first thing I did is I laid out these fight scenes and after we had built the sets, I was the one who acted out every stunt with the actors and it was like one of the most fun things I did in any filmmaking process was I think a lot of people just, you know, have the idea that you hire a stunt coordinator and they work out the fight scenes with the Mm -hmm. fight choreographer for your actors. Well, first of all, when it comes to Arctic, uh, there was no money for those things. (laughs) Like in theory, we had, I wanted to have people in those positions, but in reality, there's just no money for that, you know? So Ultimately, I knew I had to do all this stuff myself. So when it came to that, that was one of the uh, times where, you know, sometimes on a film, things can feel like they're a job and sometimes they feel like they're fun. And when it came to laying out the fight scenes, that not only felt like it was fun, it felt like this is effortless. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, I know this because of all the years with wrestling and with studying these fight scenes in all these movies. And it was just like pure love like my soul was happy to do that you know mm-hmm. i remember there was this big pile of dirt and i was showing the guys hey this is how you're gonna jump into this dirt and they're like oh yeah how are we gonna do that and i was like watch this and i just jumped into the dirt you know and it's just like it was great i absolutely love it you're covered in mud showing them how they're gonna be covered in mud and yeah. i feel like that's something all directors should kind of do there's this idea that directors kind of hire people and have those people do what they're supposed to do to organize something for you. And I personally feel like, nah, screw it. I want to be the one organizing that. Just Mm -hmm. so actors and and crew and everybody knows that you are not above anybody. And you are one of them. We're all here trying to do this thing together. So if someone needs to get dirty, I'll be the first one to get dirty because I know you need to get dirty. I want you to understand and respect what you're doing and I'm experiencing it with you. So mm-hmm. that's why the fight scenes were so fun. Yeah, that's remind me of an experience I had. A, a, it was 2010, I suppose. No, later on, later on. But yeah, the fact is that my best friend, shout out to Pietro Snider, Um, at that time he had a huge passion, still have the huge passion, but he's, he became a philosopher. Uh, PhD oh, nice. in philosophy, but um, he always had this passion for movies and he wanted to be as a director. And he asked me, Hey, Shanti, you have time now. Um, would you like to be the help me with the sound, the recording for my? I want to do a short and I want to, my friends be there 
And I said, of course, which is summer <laughs> in the South side, you know, with friends and making a movie. Why not? You know? And um, I, I did it and we ended up uh, having me <laughs> uh, playing a role, a small role in this short movie. <laughs> and, and it was right. fun because it was like, I never done that. It was interesting to be in this, try something new, you know, see how movies made and everything. And because he had really the know-how, his father is also working uh, in this ambience, you know, with cameras, movies, uh, documentaries. So, you know, we were involved with people that didn't know what they were doing. It was not just, was just a, a child play, you know. And um, so I went from being the guy, you know, with this uh, microphone, with a long microphone, just with the sound saying that it's okay for dialogues being part of an active part in the in the movie and we had a lot of fun you know in the wood also you know like we were like mimic. yeah you know to be honest it's kind of like going to war together so you you all bond you know yeah it's the same you know you mentioned henry rollins earlier it's the same idea and theory he talks about in his book when you're in a van together traveling across the country playing shows it's you versus everyone mm -hmm. you together you know it's us versus them and so it's really exciting to be able to create something and complete a task together like when you're in a group it's just an experience you never forget you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. have you ever also um direct some music videos i have i started directing music videos many years ago that's how i kind of learned how to do certain aspects and how I tried to like figure out a lot of techniques and filmmaking. Like when it comes to like maybe making a fight scene, you have to figure out how to do things where you're cutting very quickly and you mm -hmm. could get a lot of those uh, techniques figured out while trying them through other means. So like in a music video, you can cut very quickly. So mm -hmm. you start to understand how a fight scene might work. So yeah, I, I remember trying to do like lots of music videos for, for my own band, for other people's bands. And I really had a lot of fun with that. And I think, I actually think everyone should kind of start, especially with how, you know, uh, music works nowadays, how there's all these different ways that someone could become a known act. And like, I think everyone should be trying to do their own kind of like content, you know, as, as it were, you know, like you should, You know, have your friends do your music videos, do your own ideas. You know, if you if you have concepts that are interesting, you should definitely try it that way. I think, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, it's a great way for people to figure out like how they're uh, how they're presenting themselves and also figuring out filmmaking techniques. You know, you could start it, you know, with short movies, with comedy sketches, with, you know, filming certain types of uh, whatever it is, sporting activities. Uh, music videos is great because you get so many different techniques in just the one thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, music videos are really fun, too. So, yeah, I, I got my start that way. I did a lot of music videos for people I knew, and then I branched out and did some more for some bigger acts. And then I remember at that point being like, okay, while I'm doing these music videos and they're fun, The people who benefit are the band and not myself. 
and I've learned what I need to learn here. So now it's time to apply that to an actual film. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what can, what can we talk about a, a little bit about the, the soundtrack from for, of Arctic? What, what, yes. what, is the, what was the idea behind it? I mean, the idea behind the soundtrack of Arctic was to find a sound that sounded broken. The idea of, I don't mean taking things that are broken, like go to a junkyard and pick up broken things. I mean, taking a, a guitar and rather than playing a normal chord, mm -hmm. create a riff with that guitar where you, as you strum it, you break the neck of the guitar. Like mm -hmm. I wanted something to actually sound like it was breaking in mm -hmm. mid stride, you know, part of the, part of the riff is that it's, you know, just actually a string being pulled off the fretboard. And so I worked with this composer named Corey Wallace and we kept trying to find out how do you create this technique? And I was like, well, fuck, how about I just break a guitar, you know? And then we just started breaking things as we were playing them and taking guitars and bending them and, restringing them upside down and pulling off the A string, tying it with the E string and hitting it with like a violin and, and all this other stuff and trying these weird ways to really make an instrument sound like it's not supposed to sound. And then that mm -hmm. became the basis of our actual sound. So that was the inspiration. Of how do we make something sound broken? I want mm -hmm. that to be the tone because that's how the movie feels. It's a little, feels a little broken up and, You know, I wanted the characters are broken people. So mm -hmm. I just wanted it to feel not like a normal movie, you know, mm -hmm. not all pretty. And I wanted it to feel really gritty. No, that's, that's good. Very interesting to, to listen to because I had the feeling that in the last, in the last year, when you have like a movie, like even if it's in the genre of horror, um, yeah, they just put like song on it because they're playing yeah. on the radio in the car or because there yeah. is the, the cool reef, you know, like, or give, yeah. but um, yeah, let's talk about the master Hitchcock. I mean, you, you watch the shining you know, on mute. It's not scary, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. And said so that I, I really, uh, I'm really interested to this, this, your effort, you know, to, to, to realize this idea, you know, I got the, a story that's working like this and in my mind, I, st I still also have, How should it sound or what should be the, the soundtrack? Um, there is this very, very nice movie, The Last Black Man in San Francisco or something like this, mm -hmm. it's called. And the whole soundtrack is done just with brass instrument or just a brass yeah, quartet. And yeah. also, you know, you don't have to go to the moon to find some good ideas, you know, like, right. Um, and then like they, they made some rearrangement of songs that we know. Um, and, but the idea that they kept all this kind of soundtrack for the whole film gives at the movie and the character a special flavor, I will say. Right. right. And uh, yeah, of course it is a movie when you have also different, uh, Uh, kind of personalities and everything, but there is this common line somewhere where somebody is, as you said, is broken or life just cut out and, and you don't know where you're landing. Uh, yeah, it's, I think it's gonna can all just support the movie even stronger. Um, I had yeah. the feeling that uh, in the last year, we in the movie scene and the movie production has been like, ah, uh, yeah, us like, 
negligence in what soundtrack is. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm on Instagram uh, with, uh, and I, um, had, I saw some pages of some young composers and they want to do scores, music, and this is great because the tradition keep going, Chris, but um, yeah. still the fact that if somebody wants to invest in something like this, if you still believe in it or you say, oh no, I got that band or that artist that can also help us uh, spread the word. Of course, it could be interesting, but at the same time, um, yeah, scores in movies, definitely 100% important. And, and yeah, yeah, I think you, you need a great score to capture. It's like the exclamation point on your point, whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. You really can't do it properly unless you have something that I can connect to mentally without thinking about it. So if you give me music that puts me in this place where I feel fear, then the idea of your scene playing out or something scary happens, it's, it'll register without me analyzing why. You know, it's like we've seen so many movies since we were, you know, kids that we're now programmed to work that way. So with Arctic, the idea was, how do I take some of that programming and mess it up a little bit and then in that it came out that the characters feel more messed up so you know it was just this interesting technique i was trying and a lot of people um you know i feel like uh, maybe we wouldn't have gone that route but you know for me i really wanted to take some risk and plus i got to play some of the instruments you know like the guitar and stuff and, and break a guitar again and it was like okay well this is fun. I haven't done this in a while. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, it's also interesting because a lot of um, composers right now go only with MIDI uh, instruments. You can yeah. have your your 80, 80 uh, persons orchestra, you know, you can add right. so many violins as you want. And the result is it's incredible. I mean, nowadays the technology brings you new opportunities. But exactly. on the other side... Uh, yeah, if you know and you hear the difference, you see that that there is as another kind of sound, another kind of approach to the thing. It's more, it's more like emotional because they're people, real person playing it, and and um, this is something that I like to do with uh, young students, for example, uh, when I have the chance to talk about music and classical music in general. Uh, there is always this idea of oh, classical music for old people or classical music is boring, you know, because they never mm-hmm. heard maybe some Beethoven pieces that were really strong, you know, like where, and right. they had the chance to to see an orchestra playing, and they're kind of amazed how loud can an orchestra be, and and uh, the the fact that it's not just movie, uh, just music that you listen to, you feel it, you know, maybe yeah. because you are seeing how all the musicians are moving or maybe because you feel the vibration, you know, it's all acoustic. Yeah. It's all about that vibration carrying over into emotion, you know, and uh, you really only get that from like an orchestra or band live. It's hard to get that, mm-hmm. you know, um, that exact feeling without being there in person, you know, but this is also interesting because as for movies, this is sometimes something that with what a, a director try to do with images, I think, you know, the yeah. way you show, 
a situation or the way the, the point of view you choose and everything and does are some it's like for some some people maybe they would remember that movie for the soundtrack or for that moment where the read or a lot yeah. of people will for sure remember the movie because in that specific moment happened that situation and it's showing that way you know maybe some details or the way the expression or something and it's a, yeah, it's a, yeah. it's a, in, even in both sides you have like the same goal you know <laughs> this is yeah yeah i think sometimes the idea is to present your images in the most beautiful interesting way possible and other times it's to add to the story like i think um the last christopher nolan film tenet mm-hmm. where everything is supposed to be backwards and he has these reverse action scenes he also has a score where they're playing things in reverse you know and it just adds to the feeling of the movie the whole time you're watching the scenes for backwards the music Parts of it are sampled and moving backwards. Yeah, yeah. And it really, it, I think it helps sell that last bit of element, you know, that he's trying to add in there of, of things moving backwards and whatever other complicated things that are going over in that movie. <laughs> that, that was an, a movie that I, I need to watch like two times. And honestly, uh, now that you tell me about the soundtrack, I definitely need to watch a third time because I was so concentrated on what I was watching. Yeah. That I, I, I didn't have the time really to say, oh, yeah, I like that. I, like, I mean, what yeah, I was yeah. listening to, you know. And normally I used yeah. to do that, like when I was watching like movies like Interstellar or uh, which one is um, Arrivals, it had an uh, incredible soundtrack. And um, yeah. yeah it, you have no problem to assimilate and or and put together sound and the soundtrack and images. Uh, yeah. In that in that specific movie, I had a lot of problem because I don't know what's going on. Who's There's a lot going on. <laughs> I mean, great idea, something special. Um, but yeah, still uh, that I saw a lot of production that. Um, yeah, they're kind of a lot scared of putting some good music on movies. I mean, Son- Sons of Anarchy, it's one of the series that I really enjoyed also for the music, the choice they made. Um, mm-hmm. They did add band doing their own music and they have band doing some covers that fits right for the for the story and f- for the kind of movie, or, say movie series, I would say. Yeah. Um, Something for that's something maybe related to my childhood. But for example, I grew up with Disney movies, and I remember every oh, Disney yeah. movie was cool because there was that song that you remember and everything. And I I just found it in the in the last one. I mean, last one a couple of years ago now. Uh, Moana. That still have those these songs that are really catchy song that you can sing. You know, mm-hmm. because in between you have those movies that have interesting soundtrack, but it's not appealing is not something that you remind me remind right. in that way um and uh yeah i think that there is um there's a couple of band out there that i also made uh, a lot of good co-working with movies uh i'm a huge dune fan of the book and the movie and um 
I remember when I was looking about thanks to the internet, going looking for who who wrote the soundtrack, and so there was Toto uh, doing you know was this introduction of orchestra, but a little bit with the guitars, and at the time it was kind of new. I would say this kind of melange of a mix of sounds. Um, mm-hmm. I know um, I, st- I still I'm a person that push a lot on on music, of course, because it's my main, <laughs> the main things that, that, that keep me uh, attention, you know, I still, I, I say, I watch something and say, oh yeah, I remember that sounds like this. But growing up in, with these friends uh, and uh, I the experience to work on um, what's the process of making movies, like, it's like you, you become like a little more sensible uh, on, on, on the way you look at movies, you know, like. Uh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, and I, I think for me, you, you have to, uh, with films now, it's kind of like what I always hear stand-up comedians talk about with stand-up is this idea of, well, normal stand-up doesn't work for me anymore. Like, you have to be doing something different in order to captivate me because, you know, I've been doing it for so long. Well, I think it's the same with filmmakers. Like, a lot of filmmakers... I I think I can enjoy probably anything, but what I really enjoy is when I forget that I have directed a movie. If I'm watching a movie and I'm starting by analyzing what you're doing and then you make me forget, like I'm just enjoying it, whatever's happening, that's really hard to do. When you've researched so much and everything you take in, you're always analyzing, you know, put 20 years of that in front of every movie you watch and now it's like you're not really going to watch a movie to just enjoy it anymore so that uh it it gets really hard to just enjoy things because they're good instead you have to really be like knocked out of if you're going to go see an orchestra you have to be knocked out of you know everything that reminds you of what you do you know like they have to be doing something fantastic that just captivates you yeah yeah that's it. That's it. That's something that I was telling to our friends last day about. Yeah, every year you work on this with the. I, I had the chance to work with different orchestra through a whole season. So, but the program to play, like you know, you listen to the same uh, pieces played from different orchestra, but yeah, the repertoire is still the same. You know, it's not a. Yeah. There is then there is something new music, new modern classical music still strange of course because no more the classic music we're used to but yeah but sometimes you need to as you said at the beginning try something new don't be much scared to be out of the ordinary and uh, yeah and and once again uh even if we talk about music if you talk about movies visual arts i think um it's always the way you try to to improve or try something new and and yeah we are slowly in conclusion of this episode but uh, as we talk about your movie arctic for me still one last question um there's sure. a part of the movie that i really like because i'm a calligraphy freak i love it <laughs> and um the um, there is this scene where the the the, the young character is riding uh, with spray can on a wall yeah this Arctic logo, but I don't know to express because it's like a tag, but also mm-hmm. you can 
realize that it's reading Arctic. And I don't know, how did you get in also into this uh, kind of uh, design for that? Because this is, I think, is a party, is something really specific for the movie. And it's really, really important. I think the Arctic tag is like the bat signal, almost yeah. in a way, for, for Arctic himself. But for me, how that came about is when I first moved to Los Angeles, my car got broken into. And I looked on the wall and someone had tagged ATK. Mm -hmm. And then I repaired the window. And it was the first time I'd ever bought a new car. I'd saved up all the money I had and I bought this new car. And window got broken out. It cost a lot of money to replace the window. And then I replaced the window. And like a couple days later, they came back and broke out the other window. And I was like furious. And then I looked and I saw again, ATK spray painted on our building. Mm -hmm. And I remember talking to someone about it and they said, well, you know, that person broke into our building too. And what we realized is when they tag that wall, they're marking you. Mm -hmm. They're telling you they're going to come back. It's part of a gang initiation. They won't okay. be back. And so what was interesting about that is I thought, ooh, that'd be interesting if there was like a serial killer and that's his calling card. Like he sends his son out or his, his um, you know, protege out to mm -hmm. leave a marking for him and he goes, finds it. You know, there's definitely a longer version of Arctic in my brain where part of the capture and kill technique, part of how the serial killer works is he goes and hunts people down in his truck and finds his like bat signal across town and stuff like that. And it's, it's, it's in the film a little bit, but I would have loved if it was in the movie a lot more, but that, that was the main idea behind that is that's actually something that happened to me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, I mean, definitely a lot of hype, of course, because uh, I mean, this is, as we said, uh, you are in LA, I'm in Basel. Um, those are things that will never, will never happen. And we got, we got a lot of crew here tagging trains. Um, yeah. And everything, but you know, not gang related and everything. Like, <laughs> so yeah, all this personal experience into that movie. I mean, now that I saw the movie already a couple of times, um, talking to you, I will definitely watch it once again, uh, with these new eyes because yeah. I'm definitely curious to pay attention a, a little more on the soundtrack and a little bit of other details that we that we have spoken in this episode. Tom, I thank you very, very much for your time. Um, the fact that you reached me, asked me, we can talk about the movie on the podcast. I, of course, because Music to Live for Wishanti, of course, is about music because I, uh, I met a lot. I still <laughs> met a lot of interesting people through this passion for music, this this form of art. But um, even, even if we have the chance to talk a little bit of other things, like I really hope to have some some dancers on the uh, on the on the show uh i had a, a photographer uh, a couple of episodes ago and also that was interesting because it was saying okay no i'm on tour with bands photographing all the shows so i feel the music i take shot through the live um yeah so you see you know you 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 have all this this uh or a point of view of people working with you in in, in this your same area but sometimes you're too busy with what you're doing 
that you don't have the time, you know, to connect or to share those experience that in the end you are working on the same project, but you still into word <laughs> aside. Right, right. So thank you very much to all the audience. I would say, let's check the movie. It's worthy, personally. And uh, I don't know if, if for close this episode, can you tell us something about your future plans as director? Yes, uh, I, I'm working on a film now called Incubation, which there should be some information released about very soon. Um, and I'm just continuing to pursue kind of like these interesting ideas that I'm hoping can kind of break down some of like, you know, some stereotypes I grew up with, uh, incubations, uh, a little bit about uh, a, a guy who's afraid of sex. You know, it's about kind of attacking that, like that idea of like to toxic masculinity. And, and it's about, um, you know, confronting who you really are and mm -hmm. and it's about acceptance but it's a comedy so it's like it's it's you know tragedy plus time equals humor you know it's one of those kind of uh you know the, the ways that i deal with things personally so you know that's my next project that i'm working on and and just in general i think uh i'm gonna try to continue down this path and we'll see how it goes you know We'll see if I'm able to make more movies or not. And you never know. I could, I could end up homeless. Who knows? You know, but, but the idea is just to continue to be able to um, express myself creatively. I think that's what makes my soul the happiest. And uh, so that's my main goal in life moving forward is just to continue to move in that direction. And so, um, yeah, if you guys have any questions, you could, um, get a hold of me on the Twitter or the Instagram <laughs> at Tom Bocci. I'm, I'm right there. And uh, yeah, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. And, you know, I'm glad we got to talk about this movie and a couple other things and, you know, we'll do it again sometime for sure. Check this out. The Italian band La Città Dolente, great quote from Dante's literary masterpiece, offers us a track from their new album Salespeople. This is Venal. What if the